you drinking coffee at 5 p.m.? Uh, I am, yeah. <laughs> and it's not like Indianapolis time is any different. So clearly you had nope. a nope, party hard somehow on the way home. Yeah, I have a bit of a problem. This can of Lysol was in like my view the entire weekend. We got there and somebody just left this there. And then Scott Bregman from the Olympic Channel, this is his seat actually. So all of us gals, because it was all women besides Scott this weekend covering the meat. We were just like, they yeah. think Scott needs extra disinfection. <laughs> disinfection, disinfected. That was my Something. teammate in college actually. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. Would you agree, Sag? <laughs> he's, he's a pretty clean guy, I think. <laughs> no. But I think, yeah, you think you guys needed the disinfectant uh, from him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're just like, stay away, Scott. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Gymnast on Zoom Drinking Coffee. I'm your host, Patricia Duffy, and I am joined today by Psych Caesar um, from Stanford Men's Gymnastics and 2012 London Olympian, and then Amber Huang. I don't know if I'm pronouncing Young. And former Stanford gymnast as well, although we keep that on the DL. <laughs> Thank you guys for joining me today. I really appreciate it, and um, I'm really glad you um, reached out. Psych. I want y'all to kind of jump in and and let me know a little bit more of your background and let viewers know, get to know you a little bit more um, beyond what I just introed y'all at. So, um, Psych, kick it off, and then um, you can swing it over to Amber. I'm Psych Caesar. I'm currently one of the assistant coaches at Stanford University for the men's gymnastics program. Uh, my background in gymnastics, uh, I went to the University of Michigan. I uh, was on that team for six years. I believe actually I was the first sixth year in gymnastics. Uh, and we won uh, 2010, 13 and 14 NCAA champs. So there's that. And then I joined the uh, Stanford coaching staff in summer of 2015 and have been here in Palo Alto uh, ever since. Um, I actually just came back from Winter Cup last week where I took Riley Luce um, out there and he did a phenomenal job, finished second in the all around and earned his spot on the senior national team. So really proud of him. Uh, just a little background on the Stanford situation. There's been a lot of talk going on, what's going on. It's been crazy, frankly. And we've had it pretty bad here in terms of regular training and scheduling and all that. Uh, we had a big group um, not on campus for a long time as they were training for Winter Cup. And the reason for that is if they were to come back to campus with it, which had just opened up early February, uh, they would have had a quarantine for 10 days, which would have put a, you know, a hinder on their training. Uh, unfortunately, this crazy winter storm hit in Texas the week before Winter Cup and that the hindrance of their training already happened. So we had to withdraw them. Uh, nonetheless, we brought him back here. So now our full team is back together training and it's really, really exciting. I'm glad to have them back in the energy in the gym and uh, it's great. Um, over the summer during quarantine, uh, we had a lot of free time uh, to think about what to do with our sport because frankly, it's not been in a good position for a long time. And uh, teams like Iowa, William & Mary, and Minnesota were on the chopping block. Luckily, William & Mary was able to pull themselves back out of it, and they've got another year extension. And in the time, uh, the head coach at uh, Stanford, Tom Gleamy, he had this idea of like, well, you know, how long is this quarantine going to go for? It's, we, we don't really know. 
how can we continue doing competitions in a virtual space, you know, where people don't have to travel? That was the, I, the, the real idea behind it. And right off the bat, I was like, let's call Amber. And uh, Amber had been working previously on uh, some other pretty high-end technology. And so I had known him for about a year, year and a half. And I knew based on his experience in that realm that I was thinking, this guy is ready now. He knows what he needs to know about gymnastics to make this thing happen. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, and so I'll hand it off to Amber. Awesome. I almost don't need to talk anymore. I appreciate that intro psych. Very, very nice. Uh, yeah, so I'm Amber Young. Uh, I did do gymnastics as, as a young person and I was uh, somewhat picked off the, uh, the streets by Tom Galimi to do some gymnastics during our inflection point as a team before it has blossomed into what it is today, at least for the last 10 years. Um, and I, I'm just a person who is, I, I believe that people who do gymnastics in general, and, and at least from my perspective, because I generally only know the, the men's side of it. Well, there's so much talent in and out of the sport, but especially uh, later on, now that I have a little perspective on, you know, having been out of it for a while and now coming back to help somewhere in a different capacity, um, I find the, the archetype of a, a male gymnast, at least from my time, but definitely now, uh, is just somebody who is so driven to learn new things, fail all the time, and just keep going for it, despite any kind of uh, real strong incentive scheme, either financially or even, you know, socially many times. And it's just amazing to see those people get as far as they do wherever they, you know, end their journey. And so what I left the sport in 2005 with, uh, just probably the most fondest of memories of the sport because I had thought I'd be done at age 17. And so I had a, you know, an injury at age 17. I moved overseas for about a year before I came back to the US for college. And so I, I thought you know, I'd finished my 10 years of gymnastics and, and happy to you know, go to college with a blank slate. Um, but when I got to college, I, I had been recruited. Thank you, Sadao. He had done a wonderful job somewhat recruiting me. And then I didn't actually join the team to explore other things. Uh, and so I always felt that there was something missing, incomplete about my gymnastics career. And I was never good enough to, to you know, go on to worlds and, you know, and anything even remotely close to that. It just so happens that my year was the most stacked year, probably, there's probably more stacked years now, but it was the Paul Hom, Morgan Hom year. That's my class. And so if you ended up even on the second page of that year, you, you were doing okay, right? And so knowing that I knew like that was my fit into this whole space, uh, I just had this personal thing where I, I wanted to have some kind of completion with the sport. And so Tom somehow, he was a pretty new head coach at the time. The team was definitely not in a very strong place. He was just looking for people who could do gymnastics, period. And so he picked me out of the adult class, as he puts it. Uh, he, he's, he noticed that I wasn't normal 4 p.m. adult class material. Uh, and so I walked on and I was able to do two years of college gymnastics. And to me, because you never have that experience as a junior, really competing as a team, having the opportunity to travel for your sport, even if it's, you know, to Cal four times in a season, um, and then just being part of uh, 
these guys who I had known, but not really known for most of my young life, right? You, you know those names, you knew they came from different parts of the country, but you don't really know them until you are between 18 and 22 and you're living, competing, training, and all this kind yeah. of stuff. And so after those two years, I just felt totally just fortunate to have that unique experience. And mainly because I had gone out and come back, right? I'd gone out and said I had all the time, all the freedom and whatnot to, to, to explore, but there is still something that drew me back to the sport. And I still had enough physicality to be able to still do it, you know? And so to me, that's always been the theme is you got to go out to come back to appreciate that experience. And so after I graduated, you know, I went out, did work, my background's in, in hardware technology. So I did mechanical engineering, um, but I always wanted to at least help foster something back to the gymnastics community because I thought it was such a rich development experience and also a rich kind of uh, sport maybe underappreciated and, and definitely more and more increasingly difficult over the years. And so when I, so I, my last real job was with Apple and their products design team. And it was amazing. I was overseas working on, you know, all the famous products like the Apple watch, uh, you know, iPad, some iPhone work. And it was just like the dream come true. Yeah. When I came home though, uh, to the United States, I just wanted to reconnect with communities that I had not you know, been a part of for a while. Uh, and that included my local community here in California, but really the gymnastics community too. And so when I kind of cleared everything from my schedule, I said, I actually think that gymnastics is a wonderful place to invest in some development of technology, really because each person doing it, they just need better tools to succeed because it's already so hard to survive in the sport, right? in the old apprenticeship kind of manner, which I would consider. And so that's what Psych is kind of referring to. And I didn't really know what I was doing. I just wanted to contribute something in that space. And so that kind of gets us to today because last year uh, I had worked on what was a search engine for gymnastics videos. So you could type in a skill and it would pop up, you know, all of the videos that have that skill by time exactly where it is. And to me, that was very interesting. Um, but when COVID happened and I had kind of let that project chill out for a little bit, um, it really made a lot of sense because not only could we advance something really big with you know, the delivery of gymnastics through video competition, but also it was absolutely something that was needed. And I think Tom and a few other people had that foresight to say, we're probably gonna need this and it's going to be in like a year or so. And so maybe we should even try to figure it out now. Yeah. So that kind of gets us to the present day. So that something is Verdius. Um, some people might pronounce it as virtuous, but it's Verdius. Um, and that platform is now up and running in a year's time, which seems like a big order for um, something like that in such a short amount of time. But I guess we also maybe had a little bit more time on our hands the past year, um, not to negate the time frame that it was built in or um, created in. But I mean, what was that kind of like process like for you guys? And I mean, Amber, you seem like the not to <laughs> negate you psych at all, but Amber, you obviously seem like the brains behind um, getting it all designed. And what was kind of kind of went into that process, and then to get to 
today and to get it, I mean, launched for the start of the NCAA season? This, the whole process bringing like the group together was back in April. I'd say we'd spend the next two, two and a half months in what I, what I'd like to say, like early research and development and what works, what doesn't work. Uh, for me, like I'm, I'm a complete gym nut, by the way, like I'm, I'm a huge fan. I'm, I'm looking at all the gym internet stuff, seeing what our community and fans like really want out of gymnastics. Um, I've been a huge proponent of trying to push our sport at the men's side um, to have at least a little bit of viewership or gain some more viewership. So I came from a place of trying to get more engagement and enthusiasm for the men's side, um, specifically because at least at the collegiate level, you know, a lot of these guys are training for like national team, world championships and Olympics, in fact. And like, that's a huge point that kind of gets missed. Um, and so I came from this point, like gymnastics isn't that hard to understand if it's if it's presented in a really, really good way. So yeah. I'm also I'm also a brevet level judge as well. Um, so I, I was like, okay, here's here's like the simple breakdown of how you make this easier. Everyone keeps, you know, we're eight, nine, ten years into this code of points, the no perfect ten thing, and people still are looking for the perfect ten. And so first off, we're like, okay, we want this make it make it so easy that when you have a production, you don't have to ask, well, how did the score happen? Why did, it doesn't make sense? It does make sense by the presentation of the platform if you go on it. Uh, so we looked at what looked good on TV. Okay, like this is good that they have the scores and the lineup, but then halfway through the meet, if you don't have the scores that's going on, how do you know who's winning? Yeah. You know, you watch a basketball game, the scores are up the whole time, you know which team is winning. Mm -hmm. So we decided to kind of change the format and go back to an old school format, which is let's go head to head. And it's literally one guy at a time. And this guy scores this, this guy's got to beat him. This guy scores this, this guy's got to beat him and make it just super easy to follow. Just makes sense. Left, right, left, right, left, right. Rotation change, left, right. We're right now in a typical dual meet and on the men's side, one team would start on floor, one team would start on horse. They'd go through the full rotation and then flip-flop. Mm -hmm. That's comparing apples to orange. You can't compare a, a floor score to a horse score. You have to yeah. wait for two full rotations. And now you know what the score is where now it's like literally each person, like you can see what that score differential is. So I wanted it to be very um, followable or easy to understand. And that's the, that's kind of the thing I try to bring to, you know, attention. And then um, Amber created this, you know, we, we went through this stuff, like I was, dabbling with some video editing and doing all this stuff. And I was just like, all right, this is going nowhere. And then Amber shows up to one of our Zoom meetings and he says, okay, this is how I've laid out basically what we call the producer interface. And the, like, he like started talking and I just interrupted him. And I said, that's what we're doing. Change everything we talked about. This is it right here. And it's literally what you see today is the interface, the two screens, the scoreboard, like it was like that. And that was, I think, anticipated to be like in the background. No one would see that. And I said, no, 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 this is how we need to present the sport. Like, this is it. And then from that moment, um, that's, you know, the rest of history. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say from April, that was, he's talking about July 19th when that happened. Mm -hmm. uh, and so between April, when we first got this phone call about this idea to, to July, Actually, it was it was a really 
I would say it's a really desperate time because every single week we looked at one way to do this, right? With things that already existed. Because obviously at that point, everybody was trying to figure out, stay at home and, and work from home and, and remote everything. And so there was a lot of pressure on my side because I really wanted to give them something that they could just say, okay, we could use this. And, and then I was done. I could go back to my, my life. And so it's almost like a self-preservation thing where every week I had, I came up with a new tool that I had researched. I had learned to use it that I could demo to this group. And there was, there was no insignificant work there. And so, you know, one week we started obviously with Zoom and then we did Zoom webinars and then we did Skype and then we probably used Microsoft Teams. Like literally we went through every single thing in the playbook. Mm -hmm. uh, and then by call it June of that year, we had gotten so deep into like remote production, uh, you know, like things like vMix, these tools where pe people legitimately have careers doing. Mm. And, and by, by July, I was about to give up. And I said, I've presented to you everything that is available. And the answer to what we have here is either it's too consumer-based, for lack of a better word, like, yeah, it's great for me having a teleconference with my buddies on Zoom and it's wonderful, but it's not good enough to run an NCAA meet that's yeah. pretty high quality with high quality gymnastics. And then on the other end, it was like, well, where are we going to get a production team that can literally produce remotely at that level with those tools, with that skill set? up to 80 competitions in four months, right? For a full season. I'm like, I, I don't know where you can even find that skill set, uh, much less pay for it, right? And so that was pretty much my conclusion. And I said, my job is done here. This is probably mid-July. My job is done here. I don't know what to tell you, but my recommendation is you have these two versions and you can pick the free or the can't afford, right? And that was at the point where I said, but wait, if you're going to actually try to do like the Zoom version, right? Because that seems to be probably where you're headed. You just need one thing to make it really work. Mm -hmm. You need a scoreboard, right? And you need a way to put the scores in there and that's it, right? And the way to just kind of sequence and follow along, organize the competition, right? And that's when I got busy like one afternoon. I said, well, if you're gonna have a scoreboard, you're gonna have your Zoom video and it's gonna be like this and you're just going back and forth, that's it. And so I think from that point on, I was very skeptical about when Psych was like, that's it. I'm like, yeah, I've heard that so many times. <laughs> like, let's play this out a little bit. But then quickly, the other people who, who were in the room, I have to give credit to Tom Gleamy and David Eaton, they started saying the same thing. And I was, I was like, I think these guys are just setting me up to do something that I don't probably don't want to do, right? Like when everybody's saying yes, you better say no until you really figure out why. And so they quickly convinced me that maybe this was it. And I had to convince myself, not just from a 2D image, that maybe it really was it. Mm -hmm. And so that started probably a two week sprint of building a prototype that actually function relatively okay uh, that eventually became our first YouTube video demo which then became uh, the piece that we used to show the world. 
with that, like I've been sitting here listening to both of you and I just, you, you know, you listen to how complex you see the product, you see the basic, you know, not that it's basic, but you see when you type furious and you look it up and things like that, you see what comes up and there's just so many pieces behind the scenes and everything. I've been sitting here just writing down all these questions because there's so it, it is, it is like you were talking about Amber, like it seems very basic and it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around, but at the same time, like from a, a normal person perspective where I'm not going to be designing anything like this, um, there are a lot of questions. I mean, how does it work? How does the production, you mentioned that, like mm -hmm. the judging and then you get it all, like right now it's free. Is there going to have to be a paid version down the line or is it going, is the plan for it to be free forever? How do all these pieces play together to be able to support this? I think you have a kind of a two-part question. One is yeah. the finances. And then I think the other part is more about like the product and how it works. Mm -hmm. right. I'll just give you a very short version of how it works. It, it works very much like a Zoom call would work, but just simplify to, for right now, we're focused on dual meets, right? Because the complexities of running a remote production are very much, very high. And so for us, actually, it's really a nice fit to be able to deliver this format of competition that was very specific to the needs of the NCAA that didn't have all the complexity, like a full three-day session, six up, whatever, like craziness. And so the way it works is you have cameras, uh, call it consumer level, but really high quality cameras in the shape of an iPhone or a really nice Android phone in two different locations with reasonable enough bandwidth to be able to deliver high quality, judgeable video. That's the key thing that really made all the difference and really made it not the Zoom version. When I first started talking with judges, one of their biggest worries when they were being approached to judge uh, virtually, obviously was connect connectivity and bandwidth. But in the real time, because I don't even think many Anybody else has really done real time the way that we have done. They've done Zoom plus a backup camera, whatever. But to do literally real time and judging in real time, you have to have high frame rate, really high quality video delivered in almost real time, right? Otherwise, any Brevet one or two would never put their name on that score because when the vault came down, they're like, cause ish. Yeah. You don't know. I wouldn't put my name on that, right? And so that was the feedback we got very quickly. And so it immediately made us have to decide that we have to deliver high frame rate, high quality all the time and make every single site look the same across the country, right? Because it needs to be fair, right? All the angles should be easy for everybody to see. And that was a lot of work that Psych had put in. Uh, but then in terms of the product itself, right, that gives you the videos, right, live. But then the other part of it, which is the scoreboard and the score input, right, that was the magic that we always felt like was lacking from anybody who's ever tried to follow a competition in, in our last 20 years, mm -hmm. right? And so that was a real good opportunity for us to say, everybody, even the pros have trouble following the meet much less the people who don't know anything about gymnastics definitely have trouble following the meet. Yeah. And so for us, it was all about, can you present everything everybody needs? No more, no less. You can drill into specifics like scorecards and all the details of E's and D's and stick bonuses and neutral deduction if you want. But at any given time, Patricia, 
Joey, whoever can literally get onto our scoreboard and our interface and know exactly what's going on. Even if you don't know the sport, you know who's winning, you know who's losing, you know who's going, who's next, and that's it. It's a very simple request, but never been done well and integrated with the videos. Yeah. Right. And that's the product. And so you can produce a dual meet in just over two hours, head to head. The key thing is this, and I saw this on Twitter the other day, very good observation. In two hours of broadcast, how much gymnastics is really being shown versus other things, commercials, commentary, fill in the blank, whatever. Maybe the ratio is 30%. I don't know what they concluded, but the difference is for our dual meet, we show all 72, roughly plus or minus, right? All 72 routines end to end, 72. Every single athlete, whether you're a star national team member or just the person who made the lineup this week gets their one minute or two minutes or whatever. They're, they're claiming the fame. And to me, college is somewhat about that. Of course, you want to see the stars and you want to see the highlights, but college gymnastics is about giving everybody a chance to show and contribute to the whole thing. And so that's the theme and that's the essence of what this product is. Yeah. Um, and then so building off of that, I mm -hmm. mean, right now, there's this other issue in gymnastics that a lot of people are talking about, which is um, not on the collegiate level, but with U USA Gymnastics doing a signing a five-year streaming deal with Flow Gymnastics, and the repercussions of that, which is, you know, there's no longer anything that's on the Flow Gymnastics platform is not going to be like published onto YouTube afterwards. So mm -hmm. kids who just made the lineup, obviously an elite, that's a little bit different but kids who just barely qualified or maybe they're juniors or whatever totally. can just go onto YouTube and find that archive of their routines. Like you can right now um, or previously with USA Gymnastics, just streaming stuff for free on YouTube, what have you. Um, and so that begs the question with a platform like this, you know, how do you make it free? I mean, what are the financial aspects? Not obviously you don't have to give me the full rundown, but how do you get, how do you, produce this product and get the judges participating and all this other stuff. I mean, I guess there's the NCAA, I'm sure there's some funding, um, you know, just like any NCAA meet happens, those judges are getting paid. So I'm sure there's some NCAA funding, but how do you make the platform free and can you keep it free? It's an awesome, awesome question. And I, I've thought about this for a very long time because I think when you go down this pathway, you're becoming a, a digital content delivery, yeah. call it platform tool product, right? And so whether you're Netflix, Disney Plus, or Flow Gymnastics or Verdius, there's still a handful of things that you need to consider, right? It's production costs, right? It's legal and, and who owns the content at what point in time, right? It's who are the players and who is the ecosystem that you're trying to deliver to the world? Are they elite athletes? Are they juniors? Are they college under some umbrella of college, you know, rules and, and plenty of regulations? And so the answer to that is the tool that we have today is, is actually a very generalizable tool. My dream was for it to be able to be used as a pickup match. So we can literally do a match finish one routine, one versus one, two different locations, two all-stars, finish in five minutes, mm -hmm. right? 
Or at this point, we can produce a much more sophisticated event like an NCAA meet, but we are still not at a point where we can do like a full blown six up, you know, six event in parallel with, I don't know, 50, 100 athletes at the same time. Yeah. So for me, I think I would love to make as much content accessible because we are in this strange space where I don't even want to consider like gymnastics by itself, like men's gymnastics and women's gymnastics are different, everything, right? And they're related, yes, but they are actually different for marketing purposes, the way that they budget a lot of things, the peak of the athletes and, you know, those, you know, whatever, uh, and even the culture. Mm-hmm. Right. It just so happens is that they share gymnastics and it rolls up. And so when I look at what USAG has done, right, and trying to be objective, I understand the pain and the hurt that many people are expressing online. I totally at least can acknowledge it. I can't relate, but I acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. And when you put something behind paywall, we've talked about this a lot, actually, with our product and also with the people that we're serving right now. Yeah. When you put a paywall in front of it, right? I'm okay with that, but you better have as much content as the other services that are comparable in that kind of paywall. I'll give you an example. So I pay 10 bucks for Netflix or whatever it is, but I also share the family plan with my brother and other people. So really the marginal price for me for literally 10 lifetimes of streaming entertainment is optimized, Yeah. right? The difference is when you go into niche markets like what flow covers or or what we cover, right? The difference is you don't have those economies of scale, first of all, with your content. Your fan base is absolutely tiny, but they love the hell out of the content, Mm -hmm. right? But you're also in a situation that if you make them pay twice as much, call it three times as much for the subscription, but you reduce the amount of content by a hundred X, I don't even know, right? How much available content. Probably more than that. <laughs> totally. And then you say, because I add production value to it, which for sure it costs money, costs $10,000, $100,000 for a crew to come and show up, set up and cover your meat easily, right? You have to do that. So you do need to justify charging as a business, mm-hmm. right? But when you look at that, the consumer is not really interested in paying for that because they really just want access to some content, mm-hmm. right? And the production value is questionable about whether or not it really makes a fan at all different levels love the sport even more. In fact, I think it's somewhat opposite in certain respects. And so if I think the key thing is for us, it's been awesome because we've been able to focus on the clientele that we're working with now. The challenge I imagine like Lili and USAG is they're trying to do one for everybody, mm-hmm. right? Because when they make a deal for five years and they, they have these exclusive deals, it's so hard for them to manage fragmentation as an organization that they do have to have monopolies mm-hmm. because it's simpler to kind of have that storyline as opposed to every year you're changing streaming provider. So I understand that motivation and you can't make one service fit all the umbrella items equally. And so from my standpoint, what I've been so encouraged about is that the community, people like yourself, people like the athletes, both retired and and up and coming, right? You have to trust that they actually know 
what they want and what they like, because every single person now is an expert in content, mm -hmm. right? They are consuming content and being fed by the Googles, by the Facebooks, by the Twitters, by the you know, TikToks. Like every single thing is a content machine trying to fight for your eyeballs. Yeah. Flow is no different. Verdius is no different. USAG, frankly, when they deliver the competitions is really no different, right? And so in order to really connect with their community and know what they need in terms of how you deliver their competitions, what they should pay for and figuring out the business model to support that, right? I think my approach, because I'm honestly, I'm not motivated by making money off of this. I'm motivated by developing something that they can use first is that you need to get that right and then from my standpoint, as call it the person trying to build a business, support future work of this, it's actually my job to get the business right. Mm -hmm. Not the consumer's job to get it right. They will pay when they think it's fair. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of gets us to the point of, so, so what do we do going forward, right? Because there's something specific to what Verdius is doing, but maybe there's something to glean out of the more generalizable, like in general, is there a model or two that the gymnastics community could actually you know, benefit from when they create content, when they deliver content, when they serve their fans and everybody else. Right? And I think there is. And so I think to summarize what that is, we know that the ecosystem of gymnastics is supported at the base by all those people who aspire, whether they're five years old, all the way up through whatever age that they get to. We know that, that is the, the base and that needs to be healthy right? The people up top, they're really that pinnacle. They're that shining star that allows everybody else to look up to them for what they represent, what they do. And a lot of those people actually don't realize it. Like when you're in college, you don't realize that hundreds of kids, they, they, they aspire to be as good as you. You're a college kid. What do you know? You're only worried about whatever you're worried about, right? But when I was young, I looked up to people, not even in my sport, who were like college basketball. I lived next to Princeton, right? I went to watch some of their games. I'm like five foot, whatever. I'm never gonna be a basketball player, but I saw them and I said, wow, they're so cool. I would love to be able to compete like them one day for some school. That's all I needed in my brain. That's the inception, right? And so for us, we need to make sure that the base is healthy because if we figure out how to make those guys want to do it, right? The kids at all ages want to do it. And we give the gym owners, right? Something to benefit because I've heard anecdotally that that number has been cut from 3,500 down to much less than that in the last two years. Yeah. But I've heard the coolest thing as of last weekend where because of lockdown, parents are so enthusiastic about bringing kids back into the gym as soon as they open because that's where all these kids let off their energy. And so there's gonna be a resurgence at the base level of gymnastics, which I think is encouraging. Mm -hmm. But if you're talking about how does that relate to digital content, here's how it relates to digital content, right? Most digital content that's created at the junior levels, honestly, their purpose is for the people in your inner circle friends, family, people across the country, right? Generally speaking, that's who it's for. And I know from experience that those people, they, they, they pay for everything, right? And they, they're paying for a travel career, you know, whatever. And if you deliver them something that makes their kid look good in context, 
that is better than what they can take on their phone because it might be as seen by the judge, right? And you do a little organization because ain't nobody have time to organize their videos, yeah. right? And not just once, but the whole season or maybe even longer than that, over more time, right? There is value in that. And value for the parents, value for the kids and whatnot. Sorry, I'm, I'm probably <laughs> killing the time today. No, you're fine. You're fine. We can go. Uh, no one. Uh, okay. Psych, are you raising your hand? Psych might have to run. <laughs> Just going to say quickly, um, I, it's clear that the fan base was not happy about the deal that was struck between uh, Flow Gymnastics and USAG. Uh, you know, key thing being paying for the content. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think it's the paying for the content. I think it's paying for the quality of the content and the, the price point versus the quality didn't match up. And so I think that rubbed people the wrong way on yeah. top of issues that they've done previously with, you know, posting um, content that they, didn't, they should have put, uh, dropped right away. Um, and that was very eye-opening for me because I was always wondering, you know, when parents have kids come to, the, to a competition, there's a gate fee. 10, 15 bucks or whatever. That's how club club owners and, and meet directors make money. Um, but I never thought that being able to just view and watch gymnastics should be behind a paywall, let alone a $12 a month or $30 a month price point. It's to me ridiculous. And um, I'm one of the, I mean, I'm a huge gym nerd. I'm one of those guys that will find some back woods website that is in a different language to find free streaming you know yeah. and so a big conversation we've been having over the last 10 11 months was like if i'm not going to pay for it you can guarantee no one's going to pay for it because i'm yeah. going to go out of my way to find a way to watch it for free yeah. and that's what product managers and management need to hear because if you haven't had that interview with somebody like psych who is hardcore fan who is unwilling to pay your business model is already broken yeah. Right. And so, uh, oh, sorry, I'll be a little bit more direct is I actually think that this tool can enable gym owners to actually do way more with what they already have. We know that gym owners make a substantial amount of the annual revenue on running their events right yeah. now. But anytime you mention doing something with technology, in addition, to that, it's like too much. It's scary. But we live in a world where actually that is part of the product. Right. And so for us, we think because we've designed something that could be used to help them not only produce, because we've already done it in a challenging way, but to also deliver streaming content, but also to deliver post game content in a very nice and organized fashion, right? That there could be a very, very nice discussion with them to be able to make their events actually have virtual participants. Yeah. So now they have more people attending their meet, you know, interesting form. And then for, you know, ticket sales and whatnot, there, I believe there is a good place for a paywall, but for the right people in that context, because honestly, outside of that, the gymnastics is not for general consumption. Yeah. And so leave that alone, use it for that purpose. And so if we can get that right, right, we can make business owners successful, right? then we will have every other business right to support, which is what we always want, is these other parts of the ecosystem that honestly, they don't really have a big money-making stream. Like NCAA teams, they're running a deficit 1 million to 2 million a year. Hmm. That's never gonna change. And if you don't give them a revenue stream, even the best schools that 
you know, have full ticket sales on the women's side, can't even cover their budget. So if that doesn't work, there's no other way to make this work. And so for me, I think it's to establish a business that can actually be pretty good serving the base of the community so that we can free up cash and other ways to invest and help these guys do what they need to do. That's the model that we're looking for. Yeah. So what I'm kind of taking from that is like, we get the, y'all get the product right. Y'all get the, what you're providing to the community right, um, to the quality that you you think is, you know, serves the community right. And then if there is a paid version or if you are buying into it at whatever cost it is, it is going to somehow help those programs and be able to offset those like types of deficits that you're, you're talking about. Is that correct? At different levels, I think it's a different story, right? So if you're talking about like college level versus, yeah. you know, juniors yeah. and, and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. So those are different, different things, but totally. yeah. yeah, it definitely makes sense. And then, I mean, so that also leads into the one question that I've written down, which is, is there, and I don't think this is the case, but maybe I missed something, but is there a chance to expand this to women's NCAA down the line? Um, like I know Stanford women just had like their first meet this past weekend. Um, and basically as far as the gym internet went, nobody knew what was happening. They just found the score sheets. And I think that was about it, um, which is so odd for women's gym, obviously. Um, so is there a women's option down the line? And then a, it is a two-parter again, like, do you think in general, this meet format is better for the team gymnastics aspect? Because you talked about being able to watch back to back and being able to, I mean, even in like the in-person setting, is this a good way to kind of lay it out in the future? Um, sorry, that's two different ones, but like women's option, um, expanding to that, which I think is definitely gonna be a yes. And then the meet format in general, because you, it's a lot easier to follow for the generalized viewer. Yeah, um, one thing that I've learned in the course of this whole year is I know nothing about women's gymnastics. And, and that's where I start. Every single time I try to have a conversation, it's not because I've done gymnastics or whatever. Like I just know nothing mm -hmm. about women's gymnastics. I just wanna hear what people wanna need. What was really important about just kind of having that blank slate is their needs at different levels are very different, mm -hmm. right? And if you don't really pay attention to that, you would think that again, your one solution fits all and it doesn't, mm -hmm. right? And so the reason, one of the core reasons why this is used on the men's side now, and probably not, even though we didn't really, you know, work on it very hard uh, on the women's side is because they actually have a lot of good stuff going for them yeah. in various areas, right? They do have a great format because number one, four events is just very efficient, right? Yeah. They do have gymnastics that's easy to compare because, because of the scoring system, they've all kind of driven to certain skills and length of routine and, and whatever, right? So there's less variety, but it's easy for fans to follow. So they don't have that same, same problem as men's, right? And because they actually put on a wonderful live production. Like when I watch, even when I watch on YouTube, I haven't been to many, you know, schools around the country and their live production. I get excited about it because there's colors, there's music, there's confetti, there's lights, there's sparkles, right? There's energy. There's like people dancing a lot. Like if this isn't a good show, 
I don't know what is, right? This is completely not what the men's situation is whatsoever, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you just recognize, I say, they put on a production, so they should have production grade resources. Now, SECs and some of those big, uh, you know, big tens, they do because it is popular, like 10,000, 50,000 views on YouTube is enough to justify that, you know, that delivery, that investment, right? Now, some of the smaller schools actually I've heard are suffering the same way that kind of the men's are because number one, it's so bipolar in terms of lots of coverage, very exciting, big budget, and no, even though they also do women's gymnastics, mm -hmm. right? And so, there is a conversation and a narrative that I think is important. If I approach anybody on both sides of the table, would you like to expand your viewer base? Who would say no to that, mm. right? That is where you start. Would you like your fans to interact more with not only your content, but also your gymnastics experience, mm. right? Yes, right? When you say, would you like to replace your real live meet with a virtual competition, low budget. What? No, right? And so if you start with that, you're already in trouble. Yeah. But if you start that with that with the men because they had zero production mm -hmm. and they need low budget to survive, then they're like, hell yeah, sign me up. And so that's the difference in these two conversations. And if you don't make, you know, your choose your adventure like dip it and go the wrong direction, you're done. Yeah. And that's what I've learned in this process. And so I would love to be able to help these folks expand, make more accessible, have interactions with their fans because it actually works on both sides of the two sports, right? But the way that we convey it, we need to demonstrate it first to the world before they can say, oh, this is actually a, a marketing tool for us to reach more of an audience. Yeah. And that's, that's the way that you start that conversation. Okay. Makes sense. Um, and you know, I didn't even actually think about, um, when I asked that question initially, I totally threw out in my brain, the, the difference in the men's and women's scoring, which is obviously a big game changer, because like you said, um, the viewing of the men's makes a lot more sense side by side and doing that alternating and stuff, because you can follow it a lot more easy versus the women, you know, everybody's throwing your chinko pool on vault and it's not too difficult to compare throughout the You meet. know when you see it, 995, 10, 98. Yeah, exactly. And, roughly. Um, and that's a whole, it, when you're talking about, obviously not from the viewing aspect, but the scoring aspect, that's a whole different debate and conversation that everybody in the gymnastics community continues to have. Totally. Um, about, you know, which one is better and if the men should go back to a team. <laughs> yada 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 so we won't go down that road <laughs> that's a totally different but thing. we would love to try because i think somebody needs to take some risk and try it yeah right yeah. and that's the key of this last year is the only thing the key about this year is many people say oh we need to change this and change that and nothing gets done because people just go right back to what they've been doing for a long long time there's too much inertia there yeah right? but if it can't happen in this year frankly it will never happen Right, and so what I encourage people is take take a chance. This sport needs to reinvent itself, maybe every twenty years for some purpose. Mm -hmm. Somebody needs to take it. Maybe not the big teams who already have a wonderful following. You maybe don't need to, but yeah. somebody needs to take it. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And then, so 
going off of just the platform in general, kind of getting into more of the nitty gritty aspects and sure. that psych pointed out to me the other week when we first talked is the, um, and this is, I don't know if this is something more psych would talk about or what have you, but with the judging aspect of it, um, you mentioned that there was like an all women's judging panel, but then there was somebody from like Belgium or something. So are the judges, you know, so they're virtually tuning in, I assume they're not on site and then judging these things or how does that work? Like, how does, how does that aspect work? Yeah, I, I can take that on. Uh, we've been in close communications with the NGJA, so that's on the men's side, the National Gymnastic Judging Association. I'm a member of, of that group as well, um, as well as the coaches, as well as basically on every front, we've got some sort of uh, connection and commu communications, ongoing communications going on. What we've unlocked, or what Verdius has unlocked, is the ability for judges who otherwise would not have been able to be there in person to now do it. So uh, one of the needs on the collegiate men's side uh, has always been, and this is from the coaches, that having uniform judging, I know it exists on the women's side, but on the men's side, having uniform judging um, kind of across the table, the difference between home and away meets. Well, now you can have the judges that are gonna be at NCAA championships, that vault judge, I can have him come in. He's maybe, in Pennsylvania, our meet's happening in California. He's just three hours ahead. We'll figure out the time zone issues. You tune in. Um, on the other front, we can get international judges in too. So the specific uh, judge you're talking about, Kathy Surup, she's based in Belgium. She's a brevet level judge. Um, she was able to tune in on that uh, competition we had. Um, you know, another historic, a historic first was this was the first time that I'm aware of, and as far as I can tell, that everyone else is aware of, uh, the first time where we had an all-women judges panel for an NCA men's gymnastics competition, mm -hmm. um, which otherwise would not have been possible because we had people on the East Coast, we had someone in a different country, and we had two people on the West Coast all tuning in at the same time. Yeah, um, that's pretty cool, you know, opening up the opportunities. And so, how do we do that? We, like I said, we're in communication with the judging association and the coaches. You know, the coaches will literally say, oh, we had this meet come up, but we're going to cancel, but can we turn it virtual? Okay, let's schedule that out. Let's make, let's figure out the, the time stuff. We'll let the NGJA know. They'll assign the judges. Um, we'll talk to those judges, train them up, and um, yeah, just run, run through it. Mm -hmm. And so I think it takes maybe two times for a judge to feel like really comfortable. Yeah. Um, I can tell you at Winter Cup, and I, I literally called Amber the, the day later, the day of, and I was like, there is a judge on every single event on the panel that's done a Verdius meet at Winter Cup. Every single one. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's, that's crazy. That's, that's, you know, that's something that puts it into perspective, the accessibility aspect of it from a judging perspective that like it can, can seem like, I guess if you don't know the sport and you're just outside looking in that it would be difficult to get some people to tune in and do this, but it's accessible for judges. So judges can tune in from wherever they're at. And obviously if they're doing these meets and like you said, after one or two times they're comfortable with it, anybody's gonna be uncomfortable. Like maybe like the first time doing something like this versus doing it in person, um, you know, that makes it like, you know, hey, I'm okay with doing this. And then it opens up the opportunities for 
judges from wherever versus having such a bite-sized, not necessarily bite-sized, but small amount to choose from for in-person judging um, that can take it in to town. And then, like you said, it makes it more, um, less of the, I mean, or kind of eliminates maybe altogether the home and away aspect of judging because um, it's women's gymnastics, but still relevant is like LSU versus Florida the other week. I think like 90% of the judges were from L from Louisiana or from like that area. So it's just like, you always, it always begs the question of bias and favoritism and things like that versus like if you have a Belgian judge chances are they don't necessarily have a bias for Stanford versus Cal they're just like mm, two California men's teams okay uh, yeah I've got two, two things there you mentioned that LSU Florida I mean, is that where both teams went 198 <laughs> yes okay and I think there was a lot of discussion amongst the community like was that really 198 both teams wow I'm yeah. not gonna comment I don't know anything about women's uh, collegiate gymnastics judging but there are some fun conversations there, which I, I, I had a chuckle reading. Um, as, it, as it relates to uh, the judging stuff, yeah, once again, um, the, they've been really helpful, that community. And we've opened it up. Like, if you're assigned to this meet and you've never done it, don't freak out. It's all good. We'll make it work. You know, and, and that's how we started. First, we were really kind of careful and like, we need to make sure everything's controlled. We've got a pretty good kind of operation, operational plan and how to run these things. And now really anyone that gets assigned, right now we're kind of focusing our efforts on the collegiate ranks. When they get assigned and they're like freaking out, they're giving me a call, I'm like, don't worry, it's all good. We'll handle it. You're in good hands and, I'll, and it's been fine. And, and that's a big thing is not having this like barrier to entry. Mm -hmm. like really the only thing is just have pretty good internet because if your internet's not good, then it's going to skip, you know, that's anything. You can't stream a, a movie even. Yeah. So that's really the only thing. And hope we're hoping everyone could up that um, their bandwidth. Uh, but I think the barrier to entry thing, just kind of knocking that out and then opening up these opportunities to elim eliminate bias. There's always going to be some biases. Um, also, um, like taking the FIG Brevet course, it's literally just a video and you get it one time and then you got to put a score and then they put a next video up and you put a score and it's like three, three and a half hours long and there's a break in the middle. You don't know if you're in range, out of range, whatever. And these judges, if you, you may know, at these Verdius meets, they're pretty stringent. I mean, these scores are like, they're tight. They're tighter than even in person. I'd even, I'd even argue to say they're like closer to like Brevet level world championship stuff and the president of the association literally before every single verdius meets he sends out emails like make sure you apply the, the fig rules it's got to be like tight and it's been tight so uh i think that's a good thing right because people yeah. come to verdius meets and they're watching and they're like oh yeah these are tight scores like that might have been i i'd almost argue in person they'd get a higher score yeah but well, uh, yeah you know Gosh, I feel like every time one of y'all says something, I, I come up with more questions. I do want to say one thing on the on the all women's panel that we had, because yeah. I think it's summarized in like really two things. So my understanding of fig judging is about isolation. Mm -hmm. They are trying to isolate judges. So they objectively are not influenced by anything except for what they see. So they're not supposed to talk. A lot of these types of things are isolation. But what I saw with the way that the panels that we had, especially 
the all women's panel was massive collaboration, not in a not in a non-objective way, but really to make sure that every judge can do the best work that they could do. And that's like experience. They didn't know how to set up their whatever. They were helping each other. We didn't even need to train anybody anymore. They're like, hey, we do it like this. This works. That doesn't work. They're like helping each other. Yeah. Then in terms of the rules of the game, there's some fuzziness in certain things interpretation. And yeah. so because they can chat just briefly about it, I feel like that is actually sharpening the pencils for some of the judges who could be elevated to some higher level by the other more senior or more experienced people. So I really like that aspect. Yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, I, I like the collaboration, that there is collaboration still, even though they are not in the same place and isolated, mm -hmm. things like that. With that being said, and you talked about the stricter, almost stricter judging psych, and that it's like, almost like at an international level. And we talk about this for domestic meets, how domestic meets can be um, on the elite level can seem uh, like inflated, inflated scoring. Um, and just like, oh, this person isn't gonna score as well with the international judges. And maybe that's more on the women's side as far as artistry and stuff go and the men don't have as much of that aspect. But could this be a product down the line that is maybe used among the national teams to be like, hey, we wanna bring in for this camp we want to bring in, um, you know, these various judges and have like um, a exhibition meet or whatever national team ranking meet or whatever that says like, you know, just so we can get an idea of how they are going to score internationally and things like that. That was a great train of thought question that you nailed right on the head. Um, don't know how much to reveal, so I'll let Amber take that that guy on unless you're yeah i'll let amber take that guy on essentially could this be something that the national teams use oh, to get an right. idea for international judging how routines are going to perform on the international basis with these judges totally. coming in, essentially? i i think we don't even know but it's really up to those organizations to figure it out like i, I don't want to tell them how to do their job because they obviously know better than i I think what this enables, right? What this enables is two things. Any one of our competitions that have already been done can be used for training, mm -hmm. right? That's the key thing because all the video is the way it was presented. There's no difference. You can say, I wasn't there. So I didn't see it the way you did. And you can never argue that, right? But with what we have is the way we captured is how we presented at the time, after the time. And so what's important is calibration with these judges. And sure, maybe they're generally calibrated higher or lower or whatever the situation is, right? That's okay, as long as you can bring the calibration down when you need to. And so what's really nice too, is that for us, honestly, for a judge who hasn't judged before, they could re-judge a whole competition, 10, whatever we have in our portfolio, mm -hmm. right? Because we have the scores and it wasn't any different than the way that it was presented at the time. Right, so that's a key thing. And then I think in terms of how do the national teams use it, right? What I like, um, like the most about this is the pickup aspect, right? In my imagination at that level, you just need to be able to hit your routine anytime. That's really what an Olympic champion does. They just hit the routine anytime. Perfect, not perfect situation, they still do it. And then for us to be able to simulate that at any time, especially with the cancellations of World Cups, and even just look at the juniors. The juniors don't travel that much because of budget, time, age, opportunity. They just don't, yeah. right? And so to me, my dream would be 
what if you could do this every week, mm. day? Like, honestly, there's not a whole lot except for time schedules and whether or not you want to do it. And so my thought is like, if you could match up people domestically, national team members, or you can match up international team members, friends, mm -hmm. and have them paired with big level judges also, right? And so all of a sudden, you've changed the game in terms of, is this practice or play, player competition, competition or practice? Like, it's all whatever you want it to be. But we can still bring all those elements together and produce in five minutes or a whole session of three hours, mm -hmm. right? And so I think that is good for the fans because they can get their bite-sized chunks of little competition. The athletes always get a chance to show that they're really that good, Yeah. right? They don't have to wait six months or a year and only show in one minute whether they're good enough or not, right? And so I think it really is an, an opportunity creator it's just for the community now to experiment and figure out what format sticks and what is the best way to use it. Yeah, definitely. And so there is a, there is an option there. I mean, I think there's, there's just, there's so much potential with this platform in general and just not just the platform, but the idea behind it and everything. There's a lot of potential for different things down the line. Um, and I'm sure all are working and developing them and, and so on and so forth. But I did want to touch on, and these might be things, a couple of things before we wrapped it up, um, that these might be things that more psych will input on, but obviously, Amber, you're free to jump in and Please. talk about it. Um, but I did want to touch on Winter Cup real quick this weekend with Riley um, being the only Stanford guy and uh, rotating by himself and things like that and kind of in his own little world, um, getting silver. And obviously making national team it's his first senior national team if i'm correct um and just kind of psych what how that process was and um your thoughts on it and moving forward what that looks like for riley um and, and just in general your thoughts on it sure um first off super proud of him he did an awesome job uh, a lot of cards stacked up against him going into the meets uh training alone for geez eight months really he was training alone by himself basically on his own island and following like our training plan checking in every week we had some pretty hard restrictions from a coaching standpoint and at the institution and CAA gave some ridiculous rules that coaches couldn't even coach athletes virtually it was ridiculous like even like they couldn't even receive video and feedback and give them feedback unless it was a safety reason it, there was some pretty, it, it was pretty rough. I'll just say that it wasn't easy. And he did, and he did a phenomenal job handling those challenges and, and getting to this level. Um, you, as you may know, we had a whole, we had a big crew that was supposed to be at uh, Winter Cup. Um, yeah. Current student athletes included Ian Gunther, Brandon Briones, uh, Colt Walker, Jeremy Bischoff, uh, whom I've forgotten. Uh, we also have Brody. Brody. Um, and then we had, uh, and then postgrads Akash, Modi, and Graham Breckenridge. So those seven guys had been training at Cyprus in Texas down with Tom Meadows, who, who, would, who was awesome. And we're really, really grateful to what he did. He took them on and um, I think he enjoyed it. It was a pretty high level uh, training atmosphere for sure. Those guys are, um, they're, they're pretty good. They're pretty good at gymnastics. And, uh, is um darn it is colin there too colin's inside colin, well colin's not a stanford guy he's an ou grad but yeah, yeah he's also at cypher so colin was so that was a really 
it was a Stanford centric, but just kind of a really, I'd say a high performance training, training atmosphere. So you had three current, four current senior national team members. That's a, at the time it's a 12 man team. So, you know, 25% of the national team was training in one spot. And then you have these six other guys, five other guys like chomping at the bit and they're at, you know, they're at a pretty high level too. So those guys have been training at Cyprus this whole time. Uh, Riley stayed over at, at Sacramento at his club gym. He actually moved to another gym during the process. He's from Technique Gymnastics in Sacramento, and he started training at Elevate, where two of our other athletes are from. Uh, and so they're at those guys, you know, we told them we're trying to best serve them. You know, we don't want to hold off opportunities. If they're going towards national team track, we totally encourage that. We don't want to stop them from doing that. Um, and so we told them, like, if you want to do this, like, we totally encourage it, but here's what we think is the best route. Right now, Stanford's not even open. And we're having this conversation in November, December. Other teams are already training. They started in August. And we're yeah. just sitting at home. And these guys are, like, all over the country. Um, but we told them, you know, if you have a consistent training environment right now, you need to stay there. If it's a good gym, you got a good coach, and you're with the crew, our, our Stanford guys that know our training situation, go ahead and stay there and train because when you come back, there's already a mandatory 10 day quarantine upon return. So now you're going to come back, not work out for 10 days. And now you got to compete to try to make national team. That is a terrible situation. Mm-hmm. So things were looking good. Those guys were prepped. They were ready to go. And then, you know, disaster struck, yeah. you know, on the, the next thing on our bingo card was the winter storm out of nowhere <laughs> in Texas. And so those guys were out of the gym for over a week. And, um, you know, we made a health and safety call because these guys are doing really, really big gymnastics. I mean, and, you know, they're dangerous if they're, if they're not prepped. And so um, we, you know, withdrew them from the meets and Riley hadn't had a day off. In fact, he was able to come down and compete twice for Stanford. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, Verdius was there to help Stanford continue to season, have a season because we can't travel at the moment. Yeah. Uh, and so we had to withdraw those guys. And so it was just me and Riley that ended up going. Um, and I'm just, I'm just really happy for him. He had, uh, he's a late bloomer. He made junior national team later in his career. And, um, uh, yeah, he's just been training really hard and at the meet, um, he turned it up, you know, he did a really good job. And so, yeah, that's, that's how it came down too. we did petition, um, our athletes. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can give you a little, I, I, I can't speak on behalf of the men's program committee who's going to make the decision hopefully by today and who, what the, nas- the remaining national team members are going to be. Yeah. Likely scenario is I think there are six petitions for guys are, who are already on the national team or were on the national team. So that includes Akash Modi, Grant Breckenridge, Brody Malone, Sam McCulloch, Colin Van Wicklin, and I think Trevor Howard. That's six. So they've named the 10 from Winter Cup. So that, remain, that leaves up to two more athletes they need to select uh and that that could be anyone's game i'm hoping it's another guy we petitioned who's not on the national team yeah uh, but i submitted a ton of petitions the day before the meet so (laughs) well that was the big conversation after the conclusion of guys event finals and things like that is like uh, we talked with brett mcclure like the media contingent did uh before he went off to the npc meeting on sunday night and he was just like, I mean, we've expanded the team and there's still like, it's still a very hard decision of who, because there's so many 
worthy guys that are just they're ultimately somebody's going to get left off there's going to be people that are going to get left off and not even just potentially Stanford position petitions but you know um Illinois Alex Diab won still rings at winter cup and you know his coach was tweeting out about it and it seems like there's you know doubt there whether he would be on the national team and like you said there's so many guys who were already on the national team that will likely be picked up from those petitions like Sam is obviously going to get one of those spots there's almost no doubt about that um and I, I think they should do this and this is not in their rules it needs to be documented before making these decisions because these world cups got canceled Frankly, it make it sucks to be a uh, individual event specialist. There's literally no spot for you. It doesn't make sense at all. So what I think they should do is expand the team again. You know, it was 12, and then they had 16, and then we had national team coaches call, and so we expanded it to 18 after that discussion. I think they need to expand it to 20 mm-hmm. and take two specialists from Winter Cup, mm-hmm. and they need to be kind of their own group, potentially an unfunded p- uh, spots and those guys you keep them within the national team track going to camps going to these meets uh, national level meets um, in the hopes that after the, the olympics they had now can go to the world championships which is an individual um, yeah. championships so in the meantime you have those two guys just kind of setting them to the side a lot of the current national team members who train all around they bring at least one or two events already at a very high level mm-hmm. let's, just, let's just put it at that like we have several guys that are very good on floor Mm-hmm. A couple guys are really good on high bar. So um, so now that, that begs those next two spots, I think it should go to all-around guys um, because the, the next plus one spot for men's gym in, in the United States is Pan, Pan Am Games. Mm-hmm. Um, they can make that team from uh, NCAA championships. They'll look at that stuff and then guys on the current national team and, and readiness. And so that's an all-around spot. You're not going to send an individual event guy to get an all-around spot. Right. So it, it just doesn't really make sense. And it's so crappy. It sucks. It's just, this is the cards that have been dealt. All these world cups got canceled. Like Steven was on track to get in his plus one st- spot. Yeah. Right. And that got taken away from him. There's not like, there's nothing, you can't add it to him. You can't give him a spot, but how do we keep those guys motivated? Alex Diab killed it on rings. Steven did a really good job second day, but Alec Yoder beat him out over a two day total. There's some discussion there because is it who has the highest score on a one day performance or is a two-day performance no other international meet is a two-day thing it's always qualification finals whatever new life so that's what i think they should do i think they should take two specialists from those who competed at winter cup and then take two more guys on the national team from those who competed at winter cup or through petitions yeah so that'd be a team of 18 plus two yeah and i mean it makes that makes sense and there's i mean there's so many different combinations or select choices that could be made, but it definitely makes sense to keep the specialists, you know, in mind and not just lead them off to the wayside because of what has played out with the all around world cup series and the U S men's potential for Tokyo in general, because like you said, there is an individual world set for October and people like Steven and Alex and even Alec um, and people like that who are very have a lot of potential on the higher scoring individual apparatus um, shouldn't be left to the wayside just because a m- couple months later after after the Olympics maybe if there isn't even a plus one if it's just a four team all around um, thing 
there's going to be that world and obviously the U.S. men want to be set up for the potential to get as many medals as possible and perform at the, their best ability um, at that meet. But well, on the flip side, so just kind of, you know, with all this stuff, um, and it's kind of a crappy thing, these guys will make the national team a winter cup late February, say March, and we got March, April, May, June, they have to remake the team. They're only going to be on national team for four months. It's kind of crappy. Mm -hmm. And then they have to remake the team in June for championships. And once you're on the team for championships, you go through trials and you basically maintain your spot all the way until next February. Mm -hmm. um, but the thing is from now until championship, there are no assignments, right? You want to be a national team so you can represent the country on international assignments. There's no assignments left. So there, it's kind of a bittersweet national team, to be honest, because uh, there weren't a lot of people, you know, some of the top guys in the country weren't at winter cup you know uh and what what would that standing have looked like because at winter cup it's a brand it's a clean slate championships clean slate doesn't matter who you are if you don't make points or you don't make an all-around score you're not on team mm -hmm. yeah and i mean so that's a that's kind of also a silver lining for some of the guys that might not get put on the team right now is that yeah, that's what yeah. I, told, I told our guys you know i was like this is really crappy i, I feel terrible for you like you guys figured out a way to train in the chaos you know away from your team away from us from you know me me tom uh, mark coaching them uh like that sucks and then like everything is going good they're sending us training videos and they're looking prepped and we were going to meet them at winter cup and then that just got taken from them so i was like look there's a silver lining anyone that was qualified to winter cup is automatically pre-qualified to usa championship so you have another shot you know mm -hmm. to make team so like that's good you know the other thing is there's no assignment in four months well you make team you're back to the regular you're back with your team training college stuff yeah and then the other flip side is hey at least now you're you're back with the team and you can train with your team like that like there we go now we're like you know full circle so there there's a silver lining um yeah. but you know those guys and it's not just the stanford guys all the guys that had to withdraw like colin for example had to withdraw like it's it's still tough for mm -hmm. sure like they wanted that opportunity they didn't have and it's completely out of their control yeah and that's another aspect of the whole pandemic and then just uh acts of god and nature that happen like the winter storm um that guys like colin or any of the stanford guys or whoever didn't get one of the only chances that you're going to get to compete before u.s championships and then everything else that will hopefully happen this year i think the last topic i'd like to end on um is just kind of talking about the rest of the ncaa season so obviously like you said stanford wouldn't basically be able to have a season without verdius but then that begs the question also, obviously the guys are back as far as I can tell they're back with y'all and you're going to be able to put up, you know, full lineups moving forward and things like that. But how does like postseason look because it's coming up and, um, you know, will the school being a lot be allowing Stanford to compete in like um, NCAAs and things like that. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, the county that we're in, like it's pretty strict Santa Clara County, but it's been, moved up a tier or moved down a tier to a more open level yeah. and so we are uh permitted to travel now so we still have a pretty like we missed we missed the whole month of season right so we're now we're like trying to scrunch our season into this really tight meet or tight uh window yeah. Yeah. and so we actually have two meets this week this weekend we have a meet on friday and saturday 
or Sunday. We have a Friday meet against Springfield, and that's on Birdius. And then we have an in-person meet on Sunday. Cal is coming here. Of course, it's Cal. Um, and then next week, we're flying to Oklahoma, and we're going there to compete. Uh, so that's coming up in these next uh, couple weeks. Um, the first the first part of the season in February, uh, you know, we had a, we squeezed in three competitions in 11 days, 10 days, and we only had a week to prepare for the first one. And that was just nonstop. Mm-hmm. And then we had these last two weeks for Winter Cup. No one usually competes during Winter Cup if they have athletes there, just a rest week. And then it's right after March, you try to scrunch in all your meets. And then it's finals week. And then we have MPSFs and championships. So we were supposed to be hosting the MPSF championships. That has now been moved to the Air Force Academy. So we'll be flying to Air Force. And then Minnesota is hosting NCAA championships, which is actually the place where I had my first NCAA championship. So. <laughs> Full circle. <laughs> well, that's great. I mean, it's good to hear that y'all are going to be able to travel. I guess the meet against Cal is going to be your first in-person meet at all this season, correct? That's so. correct. Um, but it also sounds like everybody should, um, be on the lookout because 2019 NCAA champions are back and actually back full force, not to negate any of the guys who have been competing in the Verdias competitions, but to have, you know, um, the ability to put up full lineups and, um, be truly competitive with all the teams, um, is obviously important to being able to defend your national title. Um, later yeah, just a quick plug on that. Um, you know, with those guys that were not training with the team, we only had 10 athletes here and they're not all all arounders. Right. So we, and we had to put together six guys up to, up to six guys on each event. And our first meet, we were literally going five up five count on like three of the six events. And then unfortunately one of our team captains, Andrew Binner went down and a fluke in, in my opinion, and I feel terrible for him. He's one of our senior captains. Um, and then we couldn't even put up a full team score in our first meet. And so that kind of played two ways. Like it was, you know, kind of, de- it was pretty devastating on our end. Um, but I think some kind of the silver lining in those things is that we compete against William and Mary who just in the, in the summer were, were cut. Mm-hmm. And now they were able to come back this year, have their first meet against Stanford and beat us regardless of the situation. They beat us. Yeah. They- that, that's a win and a loss for us and a win for them. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm hoping that was like really good for their university um, to, for them to take down the reigning national champions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we were lucky to have Riley, like he had to go through some strict and stringent uh, testing protocols to follow the cadence of our protocols here at Stanford. Yeah. We were able to get him to come down and compete and then literally go back. Like he literally drove two hours, competed, drove back two hours. Dedication. Back, came back. It was like, it was, it was pretty nuts. And so even then we, the, our first three competitions, we only had a nine man roster and we, and we had to do five of five count on three of the six events. Um, so I'm really proud of that team because we, we told those Texas guys just based on how the collegiate system works with the NQAs and stuff, like, you guys can't make NCAA championships unless this nine man team makes the team makes top 12. That's how it is. Like you might be the superstars or whatever. You're not qualified in until this team makes it. So like every, that pressure and um, that's a lot of pressure to uphold between nine, you know, only nine guys to be on the competition floor. So it's, uh, I'm really 
really proud of their like tenacity and their just being able to handle it because that's not easy. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, on, on, the, on the flip side, like, I think we're like 15th right now. We, we still have a score, like a, a really low score because we couldn't put up a team score. Yeah. Um, but we have those guys back in. We're training them to be at a level. They're going to be doing probably some watered down routines for a bit until they're up to full fitness. But um, I'm excited to what we will be able to have at the end of the season. It'll, uh, it'll be fun to watch this team for sure. And I guess uh, one more thing um, is with the senior guys, um, do you, have you heard any rumblings with all the interruptions and everything? Are any of them looking to take that extra COVID year or do you know that? I mean, obviously the other guys can actually take it as well. I think any, any level or grade, whatever can take it, but the senior guys, particularly, that's a big question with any senior in NCAA men's or women's. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a really tough one. Um, I mean, we could basically return everyone, mm-hmm. <laughs> in other words, um, potentially, right? Yeah, I think there's some logistical stuff and administrative stuff to figure out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those guys are tr- also trying to figure out. Some guys were already planning on taking a fifth year academically. Yeah, um, and if they'd used up their uh, eligibility, then they were done. But now they're like, "Well, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I'm coming back." And we're like, "Great." Uh, holy crap our team's gonna be too like the the, this is a this is a good problem to have but it is really difficult to make a lineup like for as a coach yeah we're like you know it's like it's so tight like from like first guy to like ninth guy and if like you miss that ninth guy is now the third guy like you're in the lineup yeah might not see you know you know brody malone on high bar or something he missed that week we got to put someone else in like it's cutthroat it's it's tough you can ask right after riley made national team his parents asked so what's harder making national team or making lineup at stanford he said making lineup at stanford <laughs> and i was like he's probably right oh my gosh that's and i mean i i think that's just you know that tells you how much depth stanford has and then also that uh all the other you know don't sleep on you guys because you know you might be 15th right now because of unfortunate circumstances but it's coming back and um the other teams need to be on the lookout that's about it we have for today any other segments went out the door because we had such a great conversation so that's good um, <laughs> that's but, the best. hey that's fine it's organic you know it's a great conversation to have um i i feel like i learned a ton and i'm sure the people that watch will learn a lot to end it on a positive note or a good note. Either of you can take it, both of you can take it. Just um, something, um, whatever, if you have anything to add or if you have something positive that you can take from building Verdius, Amber, or just you know the experiences of the past year, it's like um, whatever you wanna end it on, we can just, yeah, wrap it up. I think there's a process of falling in love with the sport again from a different perspective whether you're a fan and you don't really know much about the sport or you're somebody who's been out of the sport and coming back into it, I think this is actually a really, really good time. And, I, and I'm really encouraged by seeing and interacting with a lot of young people now who are getting into it. For what reason do you do it in 2021? Because you better have a good reason, but if you do, thank you for keeping this going. Man, that was a beautiful ending. Uh, <laughs> no, just uh, thanks, for, thanks for having us. Uh, really appreciate it and really, um, hoping that the story gets out there. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. Here's, the, here's the one interesting thing that we can ask people is, 
Okay. If you could have whatever competition between individuals or teams, what would you like to see? Okay. Right, because we might be able to make some of those happen. Mm -hmm. So I think it would be interesting to kind of interact with the audience and be like, who would you want to see 1v1 or team VT team? Well, there we go. We can end it on that um, Perfect. comment. Let us know. Below and let us know. Um, and we will follow along with that. I love your passion. I'm so glad that you're doing this. Yeah. Thank you so much. Some other time, we'll, we'll, I want to know how you got yourself wrangled into this, this whole thing. But uh, that yeah, is it's an awesome. interesting story for sure. But I sure it is. That's a conversation for another time. And hopefully at some point down the line, um, I will be able to meet you all in person. I saw you kind of from afar on the media deck uh, psych. I could see you. Yeah, yeah, I knew you were there. I didn't realize so I had already left. Uh, she, she sprayed Lysol at you. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. too far away. Sprayed it in your direction, um, you and Riley, to you know create that COVID bubble so you didn't yeah, get exactly, anything. Exactly. Um, but and you know also um, I might be at in men's NCAA's. That's still I'm trying to figure that madness out. But we'll see what happens. It's a fun meet. It's a fun meet. Is that not on the same weekend as women's, or is there's the week before? It is the same weekend as women's. Um, and that is my, uh, our problem is that really, um, although I say there's a team, I mean, there is me and my husband, um, for the most part, I'm doing all of our content right now. So it is the question of women's or men's. And if I, you know, in, am in person for one or the other, then getting coverage from like a freelancer or contractor or somebody for the other meet, because we are going to, no matter what, have coverage of both meets, um, so that's kind of the dilemma that we're having. And then for the women, apparently, right now, they're basically saying it's going to be minimal in-person media um, and a lot of virtual credentials, which is totally fine, like whatever. Um, and then I think for the men, they're just kind of like, whatever, like there aren't going to, I guess, be as obviously as much media there. So I think they're just like, you know, come on if you want to come on. So, uh. well, on the men's side, you know, it's probably the last time you're ever going to see Minnesota compete ever yep. so that's like and yeah iowa, and iowa there's a lot of good stories kind of you know bittersweet yeah rest. it's it's gonna be a great meet and i've never actually been to men's ncaa's i was at women's in 2018 um when i was working for inside gymnastics so um but we'll see how it plays out um and i don't know we'll, we'll, we'll have coverage either way but we'll see which one i get to be in person at so all right, guys. Well, thank you so much. Um, I will be in touch and talk to you later. Have a good night. Bye, guys. Thanks.